Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and I'm doing this intro really quickly because my dog wants to go for a walk. This episode features Ted Mathet, who, more than 20 years ago, got his big break storyboarding on The Simpsons. After that, he ended up at Pixar, where he worked for over 20 years as a story artist and supervisor, working on some of the biggest Pixar films with Brad Bird like The Incredibles and Ratatouille. Now he's the creative director at Spire Studios, and in our chat, he's going to share everything he's learned, working on some of the most incredible stories of our generation, including what Pixar did to make their stories stand out and connect with audiences around the world, and what new story artists must focus on to really make their work come alive. So now, without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Ted. How is it going on your end? It's going very well, all things considering. Um, <laughs> what do you like what considering what what's something you're considering right now well you know it's it, we've we're trying to come out of you know a, a long pandemic um you know all of our communication is most of our communication is over the computer screen and you know um i feel that i feel that all the same here I'm, I'm doing okay yeah uh, i'm like now that the weather is like nice and like things are opening up in toronto i'm finally get to, getting to like see some of my friends it's been fantastic, but uh, enough pandemic talk because I'm also like so sick of pandemic. <laughs> Let's chat about your life, the life and times of Ted. Um, so can you just tell me what you do? First of all, just start off. What what are you doing these days in the industry? Sure. So I just started with Spire Studios. Um, I'm very fresh to this company. So I've been there for just over three weeks now. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, just making movies, man. You know, and I'm focused. This is, this is a big. This is a big career change for you, though, right? Um. Yes and no. Um. It's a big change in that going from a large studio like Pixar to a very small studio like Spire is a change. But you know, one of the reasons I went there, there are people that I that I know there are very comfortable with there. Um, Brad Lewis, you know, who is the co-founder um he and i go back to ratatouille days um and sean kraus who you've talked to before on the podcast yes we go way back 20 years um so you like okay so you said it's not a huge career change but in my mind you know you've been at pixar for over two decades and now you've been at a new company for three weeks is not a little scary and like like you know like starting something fresh like this after being at a company for so long or did you feel like ready for a a change like a move up like what was the underlying you know you said you you're working with some amazing people but what was the underlying reason like they approach you at Pixar and you're like well I've been at Pixar forever I'm loyal to Pixar I've worked on amazing movies like what is that underlying motivation that got you to go from like the biggest storytelling movie place in the world to this new studio yeah um just new challenges you know yeah. I'm, I'm always looking to challenge myself, always wanting to learn, to push myself, you know? So I actually left Pixar and I started developing my own ideas. Hmm. And it was during that period that Sean reached out to me about Spire and they had a great, great idea for a movie and it just hooked me, you know? So I actually did freelance with those guys for a couple months. Ah, before. so you were, when you say working on your own ideas, are you talking about your own, like, movie pitches yeah oh wow so you so you're working at pixar and you're like i want to i want to be the story director writer script or like like what is that what were you what was that thing you wanted to be that like you weren't getting at pixar um it's not necessarily not getting um it's more of just a personal challenge yeah you know because you as you know as a creative person you have these ideas that are simmering and they're kind of always with you and they're you're carrying them around and oh yeah you know you you get to that point where it's like i want to execute this vision you know the, i want to get this idea out there and visualize it you know um so i had done comics in the past and it was one of the most rewarding things that i've ever done creatively so this is just an extension of that it's just different medium oh, nice. of, of film so, but what made you say like, you know, I'm working at Pixar during the day and I can uh, execute my visions for this film idea at, at night. Like instead of, you know, the, the, like one option is to 
quit as you did and work on this yourself full time on the side. Another option is to like keep working and, and do it as like a side hustle. Like why? I'm just trying to understand like, um, why did you why did you quit and then decide to pursue this path, which obviously has worked out very nicely for you? It's just, I don't know. It's timing, man. I, I can't yeah. say one thing or the other thing. Um, it's just, you know, you get to a point like where I am in my career, you know, 25, 26 years in, you know, and I'm like, I think I want to take on this challenge, you know, and, you know, it's hard to leave a company after so many years and you've made some great friends there and you've worked on amazing projects. And, you know, uh, it happened to me when I left LA, I was working at DreamWorks and I came up to the Bay Area to San Francisco and I knew one person, you know, um, I, I believe in big moves, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I love this. I, I like, I find it fascinating to take such a big risk as yourself. Cause so many, like, for instance, like Pixar is on, like, everybody knows about it. Everybody wants to work there, et cetera. And to like leave a place like that after working on like amazing movies over the years to, to pursue something that you find challenging personally. I think that's amazing. So you just hinted a little bit at kind of your origins stories. Do you want to dial it back and share where this journey started for you in the first place? Sure. Uh, I graduated Rhode Island school of design. Um, and I had sort of, I had a split major in film and animation and illustration. So animation was a great medium for me, you know, because I had the film and I had the drawing, you know, when I first applied to Rizier, it was as an architect, you know, and um, I grew up loving animation. So eventually, you know, steered towards that and got into TV pretty much right out of school. And it was working on the Simpsons that things really started to click for me. So you got on the Simpsons right out of school? Like uh, I had done a couple TV jobs prior to that, um, but it was on The Simpsons where, you know, I met the people who were going to be fundamental um, in helping me along the way in my career. Wow. Were you boarding? You were boarding on The Simpsons. I started in character layout uh -huh. and then I got into boarding slowly. And it was David Silverman, who was the creative director at the time, who gave me my shot at that. And David and I have a long history. He's helped me out immensely, um, as well as Brad Bird, who I, we knew each other only through the work. Yeah. So we would do our storyboards and then they would package them up and they would send them off to Brad and he'd sit in the coffee shop and he'd do his notes right on the, right on the boards. And then he'd send them back and they would call out, Brad notes are here, Brad, you know, and everyone would come running, right? You'd open the thing. It was like Christmas morning for me. And like, you'd get your notes and you bring them back to your desk and just like devour all the, the goodness and all the learning. So. So it sounds like that energy, like my first thought would be like, oh gosh, he probably tore apart my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, luckily for me, you know, I, I did very well and um, nice. he liked my stuff quite a bit. Um, but like this was pretty early on in your career. What was, what was like, uh, you know, what was driving you to do really well and, and to like push yourself and make these connections and like give a good impression to these people. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you want to succeed, right? So yeah. um, you just want to put the best work you possibly can, you know, like I, that's just my nature, you know? Um, and I think it's a lot of people's nature when they get into work that they love. You know, I just want to excel and I want to learn and I want to learn and learn and learn and get better and better, you know, um, nice. it's just inherent in, in who I am. And you still feel that way after 25 years in the, in the industry. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. No, I love this. That's great. Down, man. I mean, you have to, you have to keep pushing yourself. Were you there, know? were there ever a time where you, you know, things were going the opposite for you and you really felt, you know, like the opposite of I really love this and I'm pushing myself where things were in, in a rut never 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 once wow I feel like well, that's I mean, so if rare if you're feeling like you're flagging yeah. you know stay in your, your daily job like that's where I would turn to side projects you know yeah. um I mentioned I did comics so I was doing full-on graphic novels you know at night while I was you know working during the day and it keeps the creativity going, 
you know. With uh, with those side projects, like your graphic novels, did you did you publish them, or was it per, like just purely a personal side project thing to energize you? I self published them here in the U.S. So my friend Derek Thompson and I, who also does comics, were tabling at like Comic Con and Ape and Emerald City up in Seattle, and so we were going up and down the West Coast, like tabling and selling our stuff. And it was at Comic-Con that a couple of French guys came by. I was away from the table and I come back and Derek says, Hey, there were some French guys here and they wanted to talk to you. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And really unexpected. Um, they were two publishers who wanted to publish the comic over in France. So, so it so got published in France. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And, um, Congratulations. You know, that's so random. Thanks. Yeah. It was totally unexpected, you know, and I'm, whenever I, you know, talk or do classes or teach or whatever, I tell people like, do something that's purely yours and get it out there in the world, whatever it totally. is. Oh, that's, that's yeah. good advice. Um, yeah. I like that a lot. So maybe let's talk about, you know, you were on Simpsons boarding on a TV show and then you moved to, you know, Pixar, which is CG feature. How rare or common is it for, cause I've heard of, like, I'm not a storyboard artist myself, but I've heard there's a big difference between TV boarding and feature boarding. And it's like tough to move between the two. Is that, was that true for you? Like, did you actively uh, try to get to Pixar? Uh, no, it was kind of a natural progression. Again, you know, it goes back to David Silverman who had left Simpsons to go to DreamWorks where he was directing The Road to El Dorado you know, so I sort of followed him over there and then he left DreamWorks and he went to Pixar where he was um, working on Monsters, Inc. And then I went up there, you know, so Dave, I was sort of like trailing David um, throughout these studios and these productions. Is that like typical for a director to like bring their their people in a sense with them? I think so. Uh, you know, Brad Bird did it when he came up to Pixar to do The Incredibles. He brought a whole cadre of artists, you know, that he was working with on Iron Giant. Yeah, nice. So, so you're at Pixar. Can you give me some highlights from, you know, Pixar for 21 years, you worked your way up to Story Supervisor. Like, I guess maybe give me some highlights, but also I'm wondering, you know, what was this, what was the thing that pushed you? You kind of touched on it already to become a, like, what was the one thing that made you a Story Supervisor instead of just, you know, keeping on doing story? Like what helped you progress in that area yeah. as well? Yeah, again, it's the challenge, you know, it's if you look for those those areas where it's like, okay, I want to learn about this or I want to improve on this. And I was teaching and mentoring the Pixar story internship during the summers, oh, nice. you know, so we were going and we were scouting schools and meeting artists and stuff. And then, you know, we had a whole program set up. And I'm like, wow, this is really interesting, you know, and it sort of um, made me want to try getting into leadership, you know, and, and being that that conduit between the director and a team, because I love teams. I love working with people. So, you know, that's a challenge. It's like, OK, I have to learn how to lead a team um, and to help the director get their vision onto the screen um, through artists, a group of artists. Nice. So what is, what is like a, what is a skill set that a story supervisor needs that a storyboard or a story artist uh, doesn't have? Because I'm thinking like, you know, you be, you're a story artist, you're like amazing at your craft, you're super good at like cinematography, clarity, you know, putting the script into story, getting it approved, et cetera. Like what is the thing that helps you jump from being a super phenomenal story artist to like a story supervisor, if that's, if that's your path? Like, obviously you said, you know, you, you took some leadership roles. That's something you wanted to do working in a team. But what was, I guess, the skill set other than, you know, leadership, which is a skill set that helped you jump? Yeah. I and mean, one of the big things is communication, you know, especially communication in a, in a non-visual way, you know, where um, you have to communicate. I mean, you do do it through drawings, but also in passing the director's vision along to the team and guiding them and instructing them on, you know, how to get what the director is looking for into storyboards, hmm. um, which is just a sort of a subset of leadership, you know? So I read a ton of books um, on how to do that, you know? Is there one you can recommend that you can think of? 
Oh boy. Um, putting you on the spot a bit. There was a bunch. Um, well, one, this, I mean, it's kind of personal. So there's one called quiet. Um, okay. but it was about how introverts lead, um, which was really helpful for me because on the first Incredibles movie, Mark Andrews was the head of story, the story supervisor on that movie. And Mark is a very gregarious, you know, he's a big personality. Um, and I'm very different than that. So when I was souping on Incredibles 2, I'm like, okay, how, what's my leadership style going to be? Because I'm not Mark, you know, I'm more um, a, a quieter person, you know? Um, so this book was really interesting because it compared and contrasted the two different styles, you know, leading how extroverts lead, how introverts lead. And neither one is any more effective than the other. It's all about how you do it. I think that's really interesting that, because like, I was expecting you to be like, the storyboarder's guide to, you know, like whatever book, but you actually took it more from an interpersonal approach and said like, what, what like soft skills would help me excel just as, yeah. a, as a leader. That's, that's really cool. I think that's really, that's really good. You also mentioned another, like, you know. I'll give you another one. Um, yeah, yeah. So they had um, an inspirational, I don't know if he's called an inspirational speaker, but Simon Sinek uh, came to the studio and he wrote a book called, uh, Leaders Eat Last, uh, which was completely transformative for me. Um, I know it's, you know, sort of highfalutin to say it was a life-changing experience, but it was. Um, without getting too much into it, you know, if anybody who's interested in leadership, get that book and, and read it. Um, it's really, it's fantastic and very helpful. Cool. I'll find a I'll find a link to that and put it in the description of this podcast if you're listening. But I, I think that's really great. Thanks for thanks for sharing those. You also mentioned, you know, part of your role is to get the director's like figure out the director's head and then get that to all the story artists, too. So you're not you're not actually boarding yourself. Most of what you do is actually, you know, working between the director and the story artist. Is that is that true? I'm definitely boarding. Yeah, you're definitely boarding as well. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah I, you know, it, part of my philosophy is, you know, the the supervisor should always be boarding. Huh. You know, and for me personally, if I'm not drawing, then that's a whole chunk of my um, what I love to do removed from the equation. So I I want to be drawing, and I want to have boots on the ground with everybody else. You know, yeah. that's you know, you, it's everybody. It's all out there on the playing field. You know. Who supervises your drawings then? <laughs> well, a director, I guess. <laughs> director, I guess. <laughs> no, but you know, in an, in a sort of abstract way, the rest of the team is, you know, because yeah. everybody should be, you know, um, at this level, right? So if some, I'm like, oh man, so and so's drawings of Elastigirl are so good. I, I, you know, I want to try to get what they're doing or learn from that, what they're doing, you know. So there's this great sort of osmosis happening within the team you know? so everybody's kind of leveling up each other as as you work in a team how do you facilitate that kind of culture as the story supervisor you know you said you read some books and things and i think it's also great that you practice it because i've talked to story supervisors and other people who you know when they become that supervisor level animation supervisor they stop animating and they're just all their time is spent like reviewing stuff so i think it's really cool that you've kept that going but how do you facilitate a culture of bringing everybody up. Obviously, there's a lot of that happening just from the artists themselves. Yeah, you have to trust people to, to do when, to do their jobs, you know, and you have to challenge them. You know, one of the things that, and, you, and that starts from the top, that starts at yeah. the director and producer level. But one of the things you want to do, um, for me, I want people to leave a show better than when they came on. And you do that by challenging them. Is there a way, because like in my mind, you know, challenging somebody, it's, there's a fine line between like somebody perceiving it as like criticism versus like a challenge, you know, is there a way that you figured out how to uplift somebody and, and bring them to a challenge rather than, <laughs> not that you're doing this, but like killer spirit with like, oh, you, you drew elastic girl and it sucked. <laughs> like not that you're doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not criticism. It's um, for example, when we were working on Incredibles 2, yeah. you know, we had, there's a lot of action scenes in that movie, you know? So we were going very fast. We had a shortened schedule 
and there are certain cases because Brad Bird is the writer and the director, you know, he's nailing down the writing. And there was a point when I said, Brad, can we take some of these action scenes off your plate so you can focus on the other mm-hmm. scenes that you're, that you're writing? You know, and he's like, yeah, man. So there's that trust there. Then I take that and I go to the artist and I say, okay, here's an action scene in the third act. It's not written. This is the objective and it's all yours. Cool. And that's probably more fun to work on than getting a scene just like from the script. I would almost think. Yeah. I mean, it can be, I love scripted scenes because it's like, okay, here it is. Now I can do my job with it. I mean, they're both great. So how much, so in this, in Pixar's way, I guess, or the way that you were doing, how much of the story is actually determined by the story artist slash the story supervisor versus the writer director? Because like, you know, you have a script and you get like the, the notes from Brad, but how much are you actually going, oh, you know, in this action scene, I think it would actually be better if this character came in and did this thing versus what is scripted out. Like, are you changing the story much and adding to it or just putting it down in clarity? Depends on the director, really. Um, you know, w- working with Bird, uh, since he's the writer and the director, he's he's seeing the movie already in his head, right? So our job on those films are to take what he's written and to, I tell the artist to storyboard what's not on the page. In other words, how do we show the subtext mm. uh, visually, things like that? How do we enhance or improve on the written word with visuals, you know, because if we just storyboard two people, two talking heads talking to each other, then, you know, we're not doing the full job, you know, it's a visual medium. So what's the subtext? What's the visual thing that's going to support what's happening in the scene? Like that's key uh, to great filmmaking. Can you think of, so say you have uh, two talking heads, what would some subtext be that would add to that scene? Maybe just, I don't know, think on the fly. It depends what it's about. You know, um, we had a scene in Incredibles 2 where, you know, Bob and Helen, you know, Helen gets the job, right, in this movie. It's sort of a role reversal from the first one. And we had a scene, it's not in the movie, but they had Jack-Jack and they were using Jack-Jack as a way to sort of pass on the parental duties. Like here, you take Jack-Jack while I engage in this conversation. Ah. The subtext is you're gonna be watching the kids. I'm gonna go do the job, you know? So we had this thing where the baby was being handed. Oh, nice. That actually sounds really funny too. Like it's just like a comical thing. It's that kind of stuff that you're, you're looking for, you know? So, so like, you know, there's this script is written. There's a certain formula to the hero's journey and the acts and whatever. Like, how do you, what do you do in the boarding stage other than the subtext to really ensure that this is like a really entertaining, visually driven, you know, not formulaic, fresh and exciting, all those adjectives movie for people who watch it. Mm-hmm. Like do um, you have to, I'm assuming you like study and, and whatnot, but like, how do you keep it, how do you keep it fresh and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a word that we use a lot is um, specificity. Hmm. You know, it's, it's something that's, we didn't talk about 10, 12 years ago when I was doing this. Um, but a note that I give often is if something might feel generic or general and it needs to be specific, you know? So those things are always going to feel more realistic because they're, they're pulled from your life or for, from somebody's. So what do you mean? What do you mean? General versus specific? Like, say, you know, we haven't experienced something in our lives, right? And we, we go to storyboard it. For me, the tendency is to rely on something you've seen before yeah. or somebody did it a certain way. So right? you, like have a, you have like a plumber come in and they like go under the sink and it's, and it's like that's, that's like a general thing. You're not yeah, the plumber. Like, like, oh, plumber's crack. Ha, ha, isn't that funny? You know, it's yeah. like seen it a billion times, you know? Right. But if you've actually had a plumber come over to your house, what were they like? What was their personality? Were they pleasant or were they gruff or, you know, it's all those things. So how do you, how do you manufacture specificity in this, in this sense? It's through experience. 
So would you go out and actually like get yourself under a sink to see what it's like or like hire a plumber in this scenario? Sure. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, well, I mean, you wouldn't hire a plumber, but you know, that gets a little too into the method aspect of it. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I would, when I was tabling at conventions, people would say, you know, how do you, how do you do a comic? Like, how do I make my comics better? And I would say, just get out there and get lost, you know, mm -hmm. like, it's a great storyboarding exercise is to storyboard sometime that you got lost. So you do you, you do like tomorrow you're going to be like, oh, I have an hour. I'm just going to walk aimlessly around town and see what happens. Well, you want to have a goal, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Get ice cream and walk around aimlessly and see what happens. Yeah. Like, you know, on Incredibles too, like I don't have kids, but you know, the other people, you know, Brad and Mark Andrews, you know, were helping us with this, where Brad was directing it, but Mark came on to, to help us, you know, were able to speak about their experiences as fathers, you know, and uh, Nicole Brindle, who was producing as, as a mother, you know, um, so they brought a lot to that film through those experiences, nice. you know, by getting super embarrassed at the restaurant, you know, um, by Tony Reidinger and, you know, her dad acting all, you know, making her uncomfortable. I mean, that was drawn from experience. Nice. That's, that's kind of interesting. So like the story, I guess, even though it's this fantasy made up script, it's actually amalgamation of tons of different people's personal experiences. And that helps bring it to life. That, I've never really heard somebody put it like that before, but I, I really enjoy that. Would you say that's kind of like the secret part of the secret to the success of Pixar Absolutely. stories or just stories in general? you want to be relatable to your audience. You know, you want, you want people to relate to your film and connect to the story and the characters, you know? So it's tricky because you have universal situations, but you have to make them specific so they don't yeah. feel generic. Yeah, totally. Interesting. Are there any other like story tips that you think are really good for people who are, you know, working in storyboarding right now to work on? Cause you know, you as a story supervisor giving notes all the time, was there, yeah. Was there something other than specificity that you think people should really focus on? Yeah, you know, uh, I always look for some of the artist's personality in their work. Hmm. Um, when we were putting together the story internship, uh, one of the assignments was to storyboard something that happened to you, you know, and this was sort of the, this was the last assignment of a three month program. And you know, so you're automatically going to get specific things because this is something that happened to these artists, right? And the goal is for me to feel how they were feeling when it happened, whether it's, you know, you had a summer job installing cable or you had a sick family member or you went out on a date and you got food poisoning. Like these are all stories that were pitched to us, you know, and, um, that's a great exercise. Nice. And I love seeing those in portfolios because it gives me a sense of who the person is. And it's also, um, it's a very specific thing, you know? It's like and, a real story that tells you about who that person is. I, yeah. I actually wanted to ask you, like, you know, if, if I want to get into storyboarding, like, you know, I went to Sheridan and there are storyboarding classes, but I don't know if there are specific, you know, like certificates or whatever you can just get in storyboarding. So like, where is a good place to learn and start? And, and my mind is like, okay, make up a story or like storyboard something that exists or like a fairy tale or something. But you're saying maybe a good place to start is actually just storyboarding something that happened to you personally. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Are there other, other, other than like that, are there resources that you always recommend that people, you know, study and, and look to, to improve? Yeah. I draw from films. Um, because we all have, we'll ultimately want to have a library of shots in our heads, you know, that we use to communicate with. So I'm constantly watching movies. When I was souping on Incredibles 2, um, Brad Bird was referencing films, you know, in our discussions, but he would, he would never say, do it like this movie. He would say, you know, that movie where, you know, so-and-so does this with their hands, like we're going for that kind of a feel. And it was one too many times that he, he referenced a film that I hadn't seen. <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed in front of Brad, right? So I kind of smile and nod, you know, and then I go home that night and I watch that movie. Yeah. So 
I challenged myself to watch a hundred films in a calendar year that I had not seen before. Wow. Put all those on, you know, that Brad had talked about that I hadn't yeah. seen. So I was doing it. It was really fun. And I proposed it to the team. I said, here's a challenge for you guys. If you choose to accept it, you know, uh, and it became this thing. And what people started doing was they, this is when we were in the office, but they would put paper on the door of their office and they would start writing down the films as they saw. Wow. One, two, three, yeah. four, five, six, you know, and it turned out to be this great conversation piece, right? So you'd go up to somebody's door and you see the list and you're like, Oh, you saw such and such. How was that? And then you have a conversation or, um, you see a thing and it's got, some people were rating them. So, you know, it's like, oh, five stars. I haven't seen that. Maybe I should check that out. So watching a lot of movies, drawing from them, drawing the shots, drawing how the shots cut together um, was always a big thing for me because you're adding, you're like, oh, I can add that shot and I can add that shot. And now it's all yeah. living in your head that you can pull from. Did you notice when you took on this challenge and at the end of it, were you, did you notice a, a big difference in how you boarded and what you drew from and and your actual skills as a boarder? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Not question. Yeah. Because you're, you're seeing all these different kinds of films, you know, so I would go to other sources too. I'd go to like Edgar Wright, um, you know, who directed Shaun of the Dead, put out a list of his thousand favorite movies, you know, I'm only halfway through it, you know. But <laughs> so you hit 500. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm, I just crossed the 500 mark. A bunch of them I had already seen, yeah. um, you know, maybe about 300 of them, you know. So you're watching so, a movie every single night, basically. Like after this, you're going to put on a movie. Possibly, yeah. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot, like, you know, watch movies and watch movies, but I, I like that you actually gave yourself a challenge to watch a hundred movies and, and like actively saw yourself improve because like that also feels like a lot of work as well. Like, you know, push, pushing yourself to keep watching when you have other stuff to do and, yeah. and whatnot. So. Yeah. And it depends on, you know, it depends on how busy you are, you know, yeah. some people are more are busier than others, you know? Um, but to me, it's like, Hey, there's 24 hours in every day. You know, I will find the time. Sometimes I get up super early and I watch a movie in the morning. Wow. I don't think I've ever watched, I don't think I've ever, like I've gotten up for a jog, but I haven't gotten up to watch a movie. I just fall back asleep. <laughs> you jog every other day, you know, and then you slip a movie in there once a week. I don't know, you know. It's yeah, 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 yeah. No, this is, I like this. I'm, I'm kind of challenging myself to watch more like anime actually, because it's something that's not been on my radar at all. And I'm realizing how much, you know, that there is in that, that I just haven't had exposure to. Yeah, um, I just watched Paprika. Oh, nice, nice. Toshi Khan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You seen it? Usually crazy film. So good. So I'm like, why have I slept on this? Right. I'm <laughs> kicking myself because I love Perfect Blue. Yeah. And then I watch Pepe. Now I want to watch the rest. I mean, unfortunately, he only did I think four features. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's sad when you find a like a really good director and they haven't even like you run out of their work and you're like, no, <laughs> keep keep making stuff. Come yeah. back from the dead. Like. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so okay. So you know you've you've had a very fruitful career. You've been at Pixar for a while. You were on the Simpsons. You're now at Spire. Like what is, and, and also you've talked about how you've really trained in your craft and you're opening your mind with all these movies and everything. Like what is your, what is story like for you that you want to put out into the world that, that you're challenging yourself with? Like what is, you know, you were coming up with your own ideas and then, and then Spire came to you and you fell in love with what they're doing. Like what is that thing that is, that is Ted that needs to be in the world that you've learned and you want to create. Is that articulated very well? Like a specific idea or? Yeah, just what is your vision for story? You know, you've worked on some of the biggest feature films of our time and now you're working on something new. Like what is that? What do you want to infuse as your vision for story now that you're doing things kind of uh, to challenge yourself and, you know? Yeah. Um... I don't know if it's anything new or groundbreaking, you know, to me, it's always about making somebody feel something, mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel like as filmmakers, if somebody doesn't come out of the theater or, you know, at the end of the film, if they're not feeling any, some kind of emotion, then 
I haven't done my job or the filmmakers haven't done their job, you know, and it could be, you know, you could be happy or exhilarated or whatever it is. Um, if there's not an emotion there, then I feel like I haven't done my job. So that's always the thing that I'm striving towards and it's hard to do. So what is, how do you infuse emotion into somebody after an hour and a half experience or two hour experience? Like what is, what is, what is the driving force behind that? Cause you can show them things that make them laugh and cry and they can still come out of the theater and be like, that sucked. Right. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, if you cry, sucked is an emotion as well, <laughs> it, you know, you could say it sucked cause I, I hate crying or I don't want people to see, you know, that I'm, I'm moist in the eye. <laughs> And that happens, you know, um, everybody brings part of themselves to the movie or the TV show or whatever it is they're watching. And the percentages vary, you know, some people yeah. say, oh, I think it's 50% that they're bringing it personal to the movie, or it could be as low as 10 or whatever. Um, but it's that other percent, you know, that you have to get them on board with what you're telling and who your characters are and what the story is. And, um, how that character progresses or learns or, you know, does whatever on their journey. So, and a lot of, Oh, sorry, go ahead. A lot of it goes back to what I was saying earlier about relatability, you know, um, somebody being able to see part of themselves in that character or having empathy for that character. So your number one goal is to create an emotional response in somebody from this, from this art form. I think that's really cool. Is there, is there a certain story internally that you want to tell that you think would be amazing to share with other people? Like, are you driven to tell a certain type of story in all this? Not particularly, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it could be any situation, any time period, any character, you know, what have you, you know, it's just at the end of the day, it's like, I want, somebody to feel something. When I did comics, I got an email from someone and they said, hey, I, I cried at the end. And that's like the highest praise. You know, not that I made somebody sad, but that, you know, you created something um, that elicited that kind of response from somebody, even if it's only one person, you know? Um, to me, that's always the objectives, that to pull somebody into that world that you've created, uh, those characters that you've created, and to make them feel a profound emotion, whatever it is. Um, that's what it's all about for me. No, I, I love that. And that that's happened to me a couple of times. And it just feels like, you know, time stops. And this is what this is what I'm here for, really. And I, I just yeah. it's it's like, I don't know, it's a feeling you don't get I, that I personally don't get from like a lot of other things that I've done in my life. But storytelling and creating animation through that is something that's really been my thing, I guess. Um, thinking yeah, about, you know, as a viewer, it's the, it's the same on the other side of yeah. the screen. You know, um, when I see a film that, uh, you know, I have strong emotion for, you know, it's, it's a great experience to me. Oh, yeah. You feel like you're connected with somebody else behind the camera somehow. And like uh, that guy that felt compelled to reach out to you, like they, you know, so, so strong in emotion. He was like, I need to get in touch with this creator and just tell him how yeah. I feel. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I guess looking forward in your career, you know, you, you, we've talked about a lot of the past. Are there th certain things that you want to accomplish going forward through everything you've learned? I think it's just to continue to tell good stories. Yeah. You know, I would love to get a story of mine out there, you know, to fully realize and visualize something in film um, is a goal of mine, but you know, in the meantime, I just love working with people and working with teams and creating these things. I mean, they come out of nothing, you know, uh, ones and zeros, you know, if it's a digital, you know, uh, that's amazing to me. Nice. Nice. I love that. Is there, uh, I'm, I guess, is there anything else that you think would be important to share about, you know, what you're doing at Spire now, or just from your journey or anything to somebody listening? Yeah. Well, Spire's, really really exciting for me right now it's a very small studio yeah um i think we're under 40 people you know there's probably 20 something when i started um so i love having the feel of a short film right a very tightly knit group of people but on a big production yeah it's hard to do you have to have great communication you have to invite everybody into the room 
Um, you have to hear the notes and listen to ideas and not say no all the time. It's like, yes, and, you know, is something that I love to hear. And I try to do that too. And people are presenting things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I love what I do. You know, I just want to keep doing it. You know, there isn't like this grand design. It's like, let's just keep making great films and great stories. Out of curiosity, you know, you're 40 people at Spire. How many people are on the story team at Pixar when you were working there? Uh, in the department? Yeah. Oh man, I, it was at least 50. Yeah, just story, just story people. Yeah, I think there's more now. You That's know, crazy. Six so it must, it, might, it must be like pretty exciting to work so closely with the people in other departments versus just kind of the story and the director. So you must be getting a ton of exposure to how the whole picture runs, I guess. Yeah, we'll get there. You know, we yeah. just started storyboarding two weeks ago or three weeks ago. So. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on Incredibles 2, that's something we had to do yeah. because we were on such a short schedule. You know, we had a year taken off of the movie. So, you know, I was talking to people in layout and people, you know, in effects and sets and, you know, obviously the art department, production design, all that stuff all the way down the line, because people want to know what can we expect in the third act? Because I have to prepare my team, you know? Um, so I would pitch the whole movie to the various departments. They would rotate in and out of the room, you know? Wow. Um, so they knew what was coming. And that was, that was really important because when you're doing screenings of these films, you know, you're on a 12, minimum probably a 12 week schedule, at least for us. Um, you can't wait that long to show the rest of the team the movie. So. Yeah, wow, cool. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or you're excited about right now, just as we're kind of wrapping up? Well, the film- Final trouble, advice? The trouble that we're working on is like really exciting to me. The press release is out there so I can talk about it a little bit. Tell me, um, tell me. It's, it's a high concept idea what if trouble was the place? So, you know, again, it's a relatability thing. Pretty much everybody has been in trouble. If they say they haven't, they're probably lying. Um, everybody gets into trouble at some point in their lives. So what happens if you get into trouble and you get whisked away and you go to a place called trouble and what happens there, you know? So that's the conceit of the movie, um, Interesting. which was super exciting to me. Um, when they pitched it, I'm like, I love it. The first assignment for me was, can you beat board the movie so we can use it as a pitch tool? And I'm like, absolutely. Wow. That sounds really fun. And I love doing this on your freelance time, right? Not in the last yeah. three weeks. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I love working with the team so much that, you know, they said, Hey, would you like to come on full time? And I said, yeah, this is great. I love this movie and you guys are great. And let's do that. How many beats are in a beat board for a whole movie? We started with 40 and we okay. ended around 75. Wow. Yeah. And then how long did that take you to, to make? How long was that? Probably about two months. Wow. Like full time, two months. Yeah. Incredible. And then, sorry, another question on this. Um, when you're pitching the film to potential investors or people working on it, et cetera, and you're going through the beatboards as a movie, how fast do you go through those 75 beats? Is it like a full hour of explaining each shot or is it like 10 minutes? Like this happens, this happens, like. Yeah, it depends what the beat is. Um, some scenes are these load bearing scenes, you know, where they have lots of information and exposition you gotta get out. So you spend a little bit more time on those. Some go quicker. So when it's you're. When you pitch the actual, like you use the finished beat boards as a pitch, you're actually just explaining the whole movie to somebody. Yeah. That's intense. What if yes. Lewis has been, you know, taking this pitch package around and, and pitching it. Wow. So he'll, he came back during that process and he said, I think we need a couple drawings for these two beats. We need to add this, you know? Um, so, so you're pitching like broadcasters, I guess, and then they'll they'll either buy or reject the whole movie at once. Like they already know the beginning to the end and the arcs and the characters and everything. In certain cases, yeah. I mean, yes. 
Yeah. Um, when you're pitching the whole thing to people, you know, you want to sell them on the idea of a movie. Yeah. I thought, I didn't know that. I thought, you know, when you pitch a movie, you've got like the synopsis and like an explanation of what goes on. You're not pitching the entire thing from start to, to finish. That's crazy. It depends on how much you want, you yeah. know. Can I have three hours of your time, please? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you know, it's not, filmmaking is not a, a, a function of time, it's a function of engagement. Right. So if you have a really compelling pitch and a great world and great characters and all this stuff, I mean, it could be two hours and people may be riveted to it. Yeah. You oh, know? I love that. I almost feel like you need to, you know, the person pitching needs to be so charismatic and like know the story. And like, that's almost a skill in itself. Cause if you give me to pitch the movie, I might do it really poor job and it might not sell versus like, say, for instance, you go and pitch it and you worked on the boards, you might be amazing to sell it. Yeah. Pitching is a whole like subset of being a story artist. That's really challenging. I was terrified of it when I first started. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now you're a pro. Me, uh, you know, it depends on my conviction in the material. Yeah. You know, if I, well, if I, you're only working I, on things you love, like, <laughs> well, if I board a scene and I don't feel a hundred percent that the, with the ideas or the way I executed it, my pitch is not going to be as good. I'm going to yeah. be kind of, BSing it a little bit, you know, to try to oversell it, yeah. you know, but you know, you want to have that conviction in what you've done that you can proudly stand up there and, you know, pitch the heck out of it yeah. for everybody in the room. I love that. I even find, even if I'm proud of something, I find it hard to pitch anyways, because I'm very self-conscious about it. Do they like it? Is it going mm -hmm. well? Cause you're just looking at faces that are staring at you with like, sometimes they have no emotion. Sometimes they have too much emotion. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So. Absolutely. It's something that we teach or that we, I used to teach when I was doing the internship, you know, we had a whole thing on pitching. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause it's a, it's a skill, you know, yeah. and it has to be learned like anything else. So what's the number one thing that you tell people who are learning to pitch? I mean, I mean, you kind of gave some, dropped some tips already, but is there like an overarching thing that you think people should know about pitching? My number one thing is communicate with the audience. In other words, look them in the eyes, hmm. you know, cause people will, will pitch and they'll, they'll have their back to the, you know, and they're going like this. And I'm like, no, you have to open yourself, open your body to your audience. And this is when we used to use a stick, but it's the same thing. If you're sitting at a computer, yeah. you know, you've got to turn and keep your body to the audience and engage them and look at them because that helps them engage with you and what you're saying. But it also lets you know who's paying attention and who's, who's um maybe their eyes are wandering or they're looking at their phone or something so i'm always looking right at the director when i'm pitching so if they start to you know sag or you know then I'm like i gotta pick it up yeah yeah or you know, wrap i gotta move it change it up or something that's good because yeah. that's good advice because if you're if you're not actively paying it first of all you have to know your pitch in and out to do that and if you're not actively paying attention to what the audience is doing you're gonna miss like maybe if you skim over this part, they'll enjoy it more. Or maybe if you draw out this part more, it's going to be better for the pitch, et cetera. So that's, that's really yeah, good advice. If you, if you have a spot in your sequence that you're pitching and you notice, you know, the energy's kind of going down in the room, it lets you know, okay, either my pitch is not, not on point or there's something wrong with this section. Totally. Would yeah. you, if you, if you notice something, well, I guess, I was going to ask if you notice something's wrong or like the director is like, you know, they're falling asleep. Do you go back, change that area where they fell asleep in and then repitch it or, or work on it or something like that? Um, I don't know. I'd wait to hear the notes on it. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's a pretty good indicator if, you know, um, I have a pen here. If, uh, you know, the director's there and they're just tapping the pen. Yeah. You know, there's sort of like this nervous energy, like get it going, you know, right. keep it moving. So for people who are advanced enough in their pitching skills, I always try to pitch in real time, like pitch the scene at speed. And ah. it's hard to do because you're, wow. you got all this information coming out. You know, it's like what the characters are doing, what the camera's doing, all this stuff, the dialogue. Um, well, but you're taking them through the experience of watching the film, just yeah. looking at an image and you telling them. I think that's great. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's interesting. I've never heard pitch it at speed before, but I, because usually Absolutely. I'm like, and then this happens and then we go to the next one and now he's jumping over this and then, but. Well, and that can certainly work. 
Sure. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, in story, when we're pitching or when we put in, when we're putting the movies up on reels, I want the people who are watching the pitch or watching the film to feel like they are watching or experiencing the movie already at that yeah. stage. Nice. You know, because that's going to put us that much further ahead. You know, early on in the process. Nice. That's yeah. uh, that's I've been like taking mental notes this whole time for myself. <laughs> Um, cool. Is there, as we're wrapping up, is there anything else that you wanted to share? I don't, I don't know, man. I just, you know, I could keep going. So it's, uh, well, I don't want to keep you forever. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. I, I love talking about this stuff. So, you know, um, yeah, I feel like if you're a story artist and you feel like you're getting pigeonholed yeah. with this kind of scenes that you get, don't be afraid to ask for other types of scenes. Um, so, you know, that's something I would love to put out there. Also find, I say this, you know, when I do talks and stuff is find those people that have your back and that are going to push you and promote you and and do all that. Like find who those people are, because, you know, I, I was lucky. I found mine early in my career, um, because they help you immensely along the way. And then when you get to a certain point in your career, someone's going to find you and you're going to be that person to them. Uh, so yeah, just keep challenging yourself. Get out of a comfort zone. It's super important. Um, totally. Yeah, you you no, dropped so many things like study movies, just what you said. Like, you know, if you find yourself getting that same scene over and over again, get the confidence to ask for a different type of scene, even if, you know, you don't get it right away, but keep pushing yourself and then find the people who have your back and, you know, use that to your advantage and then give back when you're in that position as well. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not in leadership yet, be a leader to the person, you know, to the left of you and to the right of you, you know, and yeah. start, start practicing that stuff. I heard you some know, good you, advice lately that made what you just said, maybe think of it was like, if you don't have that thing yet, just start acting like you already have it. And then, yeah. you know, exactly. I guess it's yeah. like fake it till you make it same difference. <laughs> yeah. 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 Amazing. Well, Ted, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to, you know, hear your journey. And I'm really excited about what you're doing now and can't wait to find out more about trouble. And when I watch it, I'll be like, I know that guy. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And if you're listening and you want to check out Ted's work or look him up, you can look him up on LinkedIn and I'll include the link to that in the description of this podcast. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.